You're listening to the Skift Podcast. On Wednesday of last week, Skift broke the bombshell news that Expedia Group, the world's leading online travel agency, had decided to end its long-standing partnership with Hopper, a rival OTA that Expedia had nonetheless been providing hotel and vacation rental inventory for many years. What's more, Expedia used their announcement to voice concerns about several practices employed by Hopper that they perceived to be detrimental to consumers. I'm Jose Marmalejos, Skiff's lead audio and video producer, and on today's episode, I speak with the journalist who broke that story, Skift founding editor and executive editor Dennis Shaw, as well as Skift research analyst Pranavi Argawal who only two months ago published the definitive deep dive report on Hopper's business model and performance about why this business relationship fell apart so suddenly and dramatically. We listened back to some clips from Dennis's interview with Hopper CEO Frederick Lalonde at the Skift Global Forum this past September, get some unique insights from Pranavi's unprecedented access to Hopper's business while she authored her report, and we dig into what this rupture could mean for Hopper Expedia, and the entire online travel industry. If you enjoy this conversation, visit skiff.com for breaking travel news and in-depth travel research covering airlines, hotels, journalism, startups, and business travel. Enjoy the conversation. Dennis Pranavi, welcome to the podcast. Hey there. Hey, Jose. Nice to be here. All right, let's, let's jump right in and start with the story that you broke last Wednesday, Dennis. Uh, I shared a little excerpt from the statement that an Expedia spokesperson cited in your article. Do you mind just reading that for us, Dennis? Sure, no problem. Expedia Group terminated its supply relationship with Hopper today. The reasons for termination are simple. As Hopper's product has evolved, we have determined that its features exploit consumer anxiety and confuse con- customers leading them to purchase services they neither need nor fully understand. As leaders empowering the B2B travel market, we have a commitment to travelers and to our supply partners that we take very seriously. And as such, we are ceasing placing our trusted supplier content on the Hopper platform. Wow. Spicy. Um, Obviously, it's a very strongly worded statement. Um, and a very public one from one of the biggest online travel agents in the world. Uh, We'll get back to the back and forth between Expedia and Hopper a little later on. But Dennis, can you start off by walking us through the events that led up to the story hitting skiff.com? I mean, selfishly, I want to know how how a Dennis Shaw scoop happens. But more than that, can you tell us where we are today with the Hopper and Expedia business relationship? So this wasn't a traditional scoop in that I found out stuff that people didn't want me to know. Uh, But let me tell you how it happened. So obviously, there's been friction between the two companies. Um, Hopper's been growing at a rapid clip over the last few years, probably taking market share from Expedia and others. They have their fintech stuff going with with those high margins that they've been getting. So in May, Expedia had a, uh, a partner conference at their headquarters in Seattle, and I got the chance to interview their CEO, Peter Kern, one-on-one. Uh, and of course, I had to ask him about Hopper, and he had some su- tough things to say about Hopper. Uh, these are my words, basically him saying that Hopper was selling useless, pro- useless products that were essentially a, a, a consumer ripoff. Uh, and what he did say is, quote, 
I think they have a lot of products around insuring against every little thing. It's going to rain. It's going to do this. It's going to do that. The customer's not winning in that trade, unquote. So basically, Expedia tipped me off that they were going to, on, on that morning, that they were going to end the relationship. But it all goes back to um, me interviewing um, the Hopper CEO, Fred Lalonde, at Skift Global Forum in uh, September. And I asked him, um, Do you, are you a fan of airline cancellations as a way to boost Hopper's assortment of so-called fintech products? And Fred replied, quote, I love anxiety. I want people to be worried that the logistics around the trip might not be great. And I want to provide a complete, delightful antidote to anything going wrong. So I think Expedia sort of picked up on that anxiety thing. Um, and I think that's the reason they went to me with the story. That's, that's fascinating. I actually have that clip loaded up. Uh, let's run that. The reason we are able to grow is because of our fintech products. And right. so our global strategy, about that. Yeah, it's very simple, is when consumers come to Hopper, they spend an average of $50 more to buy the same travel stuff that they could buy anywhere else. This is new money. Explain to them how that works. Yeah. So you could freeze a hotel room, a price, before it goes up. You can take a non-refundable hotel and make it refundable by Hopper. And so that if you decide not to go, you swipe your money is back in your account in seconds. You can buy disruption protection. This is one of my favorite ones. You arrive at the airport. So you like all the disruption that's going on. I don't like the disruption, um, but I like, fan of fact, airline I like cancellation. I like admit it. Fred. I like anxiety. I think anxiety. Is <laughs> High anxiety. I love. So I was anxiety. saying to Glenn yesterday. He wants people to chill. We got your back. It's the connected trip. You want people to have a lot of anxiety. I want people to be worried that the logistics around the trip might not be great, and I want to provide a complete delightful antidote to anything going wrong at a price point that So you're like a casino. About. You're betting that the, 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 feist, the price doesn't go up too much. Uh, uh, no. Actually, everybody's chipping in $5, and if your price goes up, we make you whole. So it's not my money, right? We're not, we're not actually doing that. What we're doing is we're saying, look, um, it's not exactly in all we're on this together, but that's how any regulated insurance work. Everybody puts some money down and they buy these products and sometimes prices go up, sometimes they don't. When they go up or when your flight is disrupted, I might take $1,000 out of pocket and give it to American Airlines to make up the difference between your tickets. So we have moved tens of millions of dollars a quarter to hotels, to hotel chains, to airlines to compensate for the difference between what the customer decided to purchase and what ended up happening. All right. So there's a lot there. Thoughts before we move on? Pranavi, you want to jump in? Yeah, it's, I think it's a great clip. Um, and I, I, I like the comment around the casino, um, you know, does the house always win or, or in this case, and if that is the case and Hopper is the house, does it mean the consumer loses by, um, you know, buying these fintech products? And I guess we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit in more detail throughout this podcast. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the house is definitely winning and they've created a business model that rivals are very jealous of because Hopper, Pranavi, you could tell me what the numbers are. 
Hopper is making more money on this, these fintech products than they are selling travel. Now, when you sell a flight, that's a very low margin business. Some, um, some airlines don't give any commissions. Uh, they might give some very small commissions to larger players like Hopper. But they're making money on this, uh, you know, selling these fintech products. For example, um, one of the ones that Expedia pointed to was um, they offer twenty-four hour price of a twenty-four hour price freeze on a flight. Um, you know, and in reality, in the United States, uh, the Department of Transportation, you know, their rules are. You can cancel a flight within the first uh, 24 hours uh, for free anyway. So what are you really paying for? Pranavi, I did want to get you in here. You are the expert. Um, Two months ago, essentially, you wrote a very in-depth report about Hopper. Um, In fact, to say it's a deep dive is probably an understatement since Hopper is a private company. Um, you had access to a lot of information, frankly, that just wasn't publicly available before. So before we get too far down the road with what's happening today and and what's going to happen tomorrow, can you tell us, just set the stage for us about who Hopper is, what's their story, and and how we got to where we are today? Yeah, of course. Um, So yeah, so Hopper was founded in uh, 2007. It spent nearly a decade building out this huge database of flight information that essentially powered their price prediction tools. But, you know, they didn't actually sell any flights at that point. Um, And then in 2016, they pivoted to becoming an an OTA, selling flights on their app. And then in 2019 was really a key inflection point for them. You know, they launched their first price freeze fintech product, expanded into selling hotels, car hire and and, and now private rentals as well, um, as well as a whole suite of other fintech products. Um, And then in 2021, it launched a B2B arm called Hopper Cloud which is where it powers the travel capabilities of other companies, you know, looking to sell um, travel products on their own platform. And and really, it was this expansion into fintech and and B2B, uh, which has been, you know, key drivers behind huge revenue growth that they've seen in the last few years, as well as as market share gains. And to answer your question, Dennis, yeah, so fintech accounts for 40% of their revenues, whilst in 20, you know, before 2019, it was zero. So in just a few short years, um, Fintech, which is obviously much higher take rate, much higher margin than, um, you know, just selling hotels and flights for sure. Flights is a very low take rate business, um, has really contributed to um, the growth that they've, they've seen. And, you know, notably Hopper, they're also app only. Um, and that really leans into their primarily millennial and um, Gen, Z, Gen Z consumer base. And whilst these fintech products have really allowed Hopper such success, you know, kind of coming back to the news at hand, you know, it's clearly also the root of the current problems that Hopper is having with Expedia and Kayak and potentially other B2B partners. And, um, you know, Expedia cited that Hopper's products exploit consumer anxiety. Um, And, you know, we can get into this, but really I don't see how Hopper's products are materially different to traditional travel insurance or even what booking is doing with its connected trip vision. And um, I think Hopper is a very fascinating company and we can kind of argue the pros and cons of this um, in, in this podcast. But, you know, there are a lot of products such as traditional travel insurance, which does alleviate consumer anxiety. And yes, I think some of the fintech products that Hopper has can be sometimes misleading. I think the bigger picture of 
Expedia coming out and so publicly rejecting its partnership with Hopper it is more of a reflection of how competitive online travel has become and how Expedia now sees Hopper, you know, this disruptor to come in and Hopper is a viable competitor to the likes of Booking and Expedia. I just wanted to mention one thing uh, about Pranavi, what you said about, uh, you know, the fintech products and how, um, you know, Expedia has has jumped in and sees them um, as, you know, a very strong competitor. And one of the reasons, um, and I think one of the reasons the fintech products probably pisses off um, Expedia and others is Hopper can take has the freedom to take that all that money they're making on fintech, and then undercut any everybody else's prices by you know uh, offering lower rates um, on the back of that fintech product. So very smart smart on Hopper's part, but also um, angering its competitors. Let's jump back in the Wayback Machine here to last fall with you and Frederick Lalonde, the CEO of Hopper, on stage again to hear him talk a little bit about their business model and the money that fintech is unlocking potentially for them and others. So if this is the holy grail, why aren't more companies copying you? So they are. They're starting to work on it. Yep. Um, a lot of the... Google says they're not interested. You have to be in the transaction. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. Amazon's not interested in travel because warehouses don't really help and it's probably the right decision. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the other players are making a lot of money with their models. Look, I am super jealous of Expedia and Booking because they're great business, super profitable. Look, you take five billion, you put it into Google and you get seven back. Right. Like, who doesn't want to do that, right? Well, Glenn was talking about the massive profits they make. They do, and it's yeah. amazing, mm -hmm. and they're very good at it, and they deliver a good service. But we think that FinTech unlocks between 200 and $400 billion worldwide of new customer spend in the ecosystem. Right. It's a little tricky to build. you got to figure out, but there's no I saw doubt your signage all over the place. Partner with us, FinTech, three times the profits. Do you like free money? That's the pitch. I like free money. Everybody likes free money. Yeah. All right, there, there was Dennis and Frederick Lalonde on stage. And just for our listeners, when Dennis mentions Glenn, he's talking about Glenn Fogel, the CEO of Booking Holdings. Correct. Yeah, I, I mean, um, do you like free money? That's, good. That's a pretty strong statement to make. I think fintech has unlocked a lot of potential for Hopper. But I think since being founded in 2007, Yes, Hopper has become this formidable disruptor of the OTA market, which has you know, been for so long been dominated by Booking and Expedia. And it's known for having these fintech products being really tech forward, leveraging machine learning and big data um, you know, to power their flight prediction tools, et cetera. But really, I think the core value proposition of Hopper is much simpler than that. And I think you know, the first clip of Fred talking about Hopper's anxiety alleviating fintech products, but also the second clip about you know, free money and Hopper unlocking all that potential. Um, I, I think it. I think I think there's a little bit more to say about Hopper than just oh, it's just this fintech provider. Um, and I, I really got that sense when I spoke to the executives at Hopper when I was writing the you know the big deep dive you wrote on Hopper, which is really that Hopper is led by first principles thinking, kind of desire to address pain points in in the industry. And yes, they're much smaller, nimbler, younger than Booking and Expedia, and they can pivot strategy. But really, um, you know, I got that sense that 
here comes a company that is looking at things with a different lens and offering a different product to what already exists, whilst the legacy players have been doing things the same way for many, many years. And really, it's that outmoded ways of working, which has actually allowed and created that space for a company like Hopper to come in and, and gain market share. So I think there's more to the story than just, do you like free money? You know, in, in a lot of ways, what you just described sounds like the traditional tech disruptor trope, right? Nimble upstart gaining market share by pushing the boundaries of tech and these legacy players are clinging to their old ways. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think Hopper Hopper has just is just taking advantage of um these legacy players being too slow to um kind of be with the times a little bit. D Dennis, were you gonna I, jump I... in there? Yeah, I agree. They're definitely a disruptor. The way they um, do marketing also uh, is disruptive, and we could get into that. But I just wanted to say, Nimble Startup, no. They have $730 million upstart. in funding. Upstart, not startup. Upstart. 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 Okay. Well, <laughs> we're, 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 clib we're, we're quibbling about uh, uh, word usage. But, <laughs> but anyway, and they've been around, they've been around a long time. They they started out trying to be another TripAdvisor um, and, and really struggled for a number of years. Yes, but they're definitely disruptive. Um, they don't do, a, uh, Pranavi, correct me if I'm wrong, they don't do a lot of marketing on Google or Nice, at least not to the extent that Booking and Expedia do. They have their whole social commerce thing going, but I believe they are spending a lot um, uh, attracting app, app downloads like in the apps, App Store. So. Yeah, I think I'll just I'll just add to that um, two things. I'll say yes, Hopper has been around since two thousand and seven, but it only actually started selling anything on its platform from two thousand and sixteen. So it is it is it, it it has grown immensely in you know in the last few years, um, and you know I think we've got to give them credit for that. And yes, on 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 the second point of, of marketing. Um, Hopper's strategy around marketing is very interesting. Um, so whilst you have companies like Booking and Expedia that tends to have a fairly positive correlation between the amount they spend on marketing and how much gross bookings they get. So, you know, that the $1 they spend on marketing spend correlates fairly well to the $1 of gross bookings they make. They're having to go out and spend that marketing dollar in order to get every customer every time. Uh, whilst Hopper is kind of, going out going about it in a kind of different angle and it's trying to um yeah it's got these gamification aspects it's you know trying to model itself on the, this chinese app called pinduodo which is this viral e-commerce app um um which fred talks a lot about about a lot and we can get into that too um but hopper's trying to break that um, marketing spend gross bookings correlation and it's trying to go after product-led growth and increase that lifetime value of consumers um, uh, such that once they spend that marketing growth the consumer will stay loyal and um, they won't have to keep spending marketing though obviously in order to do that that requires a lot of spend on growth and development and research um, and you know it's probably one of the reasons Hopper isn't profitable at the moment and we can get into that too. Before we do, let's listen to a clip of Frederick explaining the evolution of Hopper's marketing strategy on stage at Skiff Global Forum. 
we were notorious for not spending any money on search, on AdWords. We still don't do that. Well, I'm gonna ask, I was going to ask you, how does this fit into yeah. your marketing strategy? How much do you spend on marketing? Yeah. So, you know, we were spending a couple hundred million dollars, mm -hmm. like, last year. So, first of all, the money was flowing. It was much easier to raise. But moreover, we were heavily invested in social media. Right. Um, and probably a lot of you got some of our stuff. We have an interesting guy in a bunny suit running around on Instagram, all this crazy stuff. But... Last year, we were TikTok's largest advertiser in the US, not just in travel, everywhere. Today, our, our paid spend is almost at zero. We are giving the same money we gave to Mark Zuckerberg and TikTok to our customers in the form of tree watering games. And it is working an order of magnitude better, but at a very small scale. So yeah, I think the, the marketing spend is a very interesting angle, um, and they, you know, they they're trying to model themselves on Pinduoduo, which it, which the closest comparison in the West would be like Duolingo. So you would you know have to log in and log in every day. And I don't know if any listeners here use Duolingo, but um, I get some very persistent notifications from from Duolingo. Mm -hmm. It's 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 very clingy, in fact. <laughs> um, and I think um, Hopper is trying to is trying to do that right. And I think they call it the uh, coffee shop moments or when you're standing in line instead of just scrolling on Instagram you could go on go on hopper and water a tree or whatever gamification aspect there is and you would uh, earn money from it um, rather than wasting time whatever sc scrolling and not earning any money um, and yeah it's a very interesting um, uh, kind of thing that they're going after but um, yes it requires money so um, this is the, the super app ambition right yeah, it's the super app ambition, and I think I, I wrote about this in my deep dive a bit. Um, they they want to be a super app in travel. Um, it's not like they want to. They don't want to conquer other parts. They don't want to sell like um, they don't want to sell things on Am like what Amazon does or anything like that. But um, you know, you do have to question: can 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 a can can a company like Hopper really reach the levels that Pinduoduo has kind of reached? Because um, travel is a purchase that you don't make frequently, whilst this products that Pinduoduo sells, it's everyday products like groceries or um, cleaning supplies or things like that, um, which is something that you purchase very frequently. But with travel, um, you know, you, you have to question, okay, even though I'm logging on to the app regularly, I'm not actually making a purchase, maybe only, you know, once or twice a year. So you've got to, you know, there's that angle as well to consider, like, can, can, is the super app vision really achievable? Right. And I have to push back on that. I mean, wh what is a super app in travel? I mean, we know what super apps are. You know, you can uh, you can order a ride share or grocery delivery, um, you know, but like you said, they want to be a super app in travel. I mean, we could make the argument that Expedia is already a super app in travel. They offer everything. You know, they 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 offer cruises. They offer tours and activities. They order they offer more than Hopper does. So I wonder what a super app in travel really means. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, with all, with all this in mind, their, their huge ambitions, this very rapid growth they've made in a short amount of time, once Hopper set itself on a path to compete in earnest with Expedia, was this fallout just a matter of time? Yes, I think I think there clearly is a competitive nature to Expedia pulling out of its partnership with Hopper, um, and you know I think especially since Hopper 
is known for discounting hotel prices. And, you know, it needs to do that in order to stay price competitive, especially since its consumer base is younger people looking for, for cheap deals. So they need to be price competitive. And, you know, it discounts and undercuts the prices by essentially giving up a share of its take rate, its commission rate, and then offsetting that loss by selling these um, high take rate fintech products and, you know, other ancillaries in order to prop up their top line. So clearly, um, you know, even even with Hopper gaining all that share and being a disruptor, um, if you just look on it, you know, on the face value of it, Hopper's lower prices is in direct competition to Expedia's own prices. And I would say, I would agree that uh, it was only a matter of time. You know, Hopper is, you know, up and coming and it's getting stronger. Uh, and that brings up another question. So where is Hopper going to get that hotel inventory that uh, Expedia took away? Um, there, there are plenty of places to get it. One one possible avenue is booking.com. It could also be hotel beds or different channel managers. But when you uh, put in the competitive factor, would booking.com really want to fuel the rise of Hopper the way Expedia did? Probably not. How long can Hopper use that fintech money it's making to undercut competitor pricing? Well, it's interesting. I had a, uh, I conversed with uh, Steve Hafner, the uh, CEO of Kayak uh, this week, last week, one of those weeks, it's all a blur to me. And, uh, you know, Kayak was using Hopper's fintech products and, and they didn't really find value in it. But he was saying that uh, Hopper is under pressure uh, to start making some money. Uh, as Pranavi said, you know, they're a 16-year-old company. They have $730 million in funding. There are investors are getting uh, very impatient. And Hafner uh, thought that um, Hopper would need to trim its overhead a bit more than it already has. And he claimed that they're spending a lot of money on uh, app downloads and that he's going to have to – and Fred's going to have to um, – rein in that that marketing spend a, a bit more to uh to start making some money yeah that's that's very true um you know hopper has gained a lot of market share but it's still unprofitable and it won't continue to grow at the levels that we've seen in the last few years especially if they um kind of step back on the marketing side of things and reaching profitability is, is key especially before they consider a, a potential ipo frederick did address this a little bit in that stage session with you, Dennis, and I will run a clip of that a little later on. Before we move on to that, let's let's address these tough words that are being exchanged by these two giants in the industry. Uh, at the top of the program, Dennis, you read Expedia's statement explaining their decision-making uh, process. The TLDR summary is that Expedia believes Hopper is essentially confusing, pressuring, or otherwise manipulating their customers into spending more money. I mean, Frederick even mentions it in the first clip we played, uh, I believe, that Hopper customers spend $50 more on average for the same trip. Where's that coming from, right? A consumer doesn't want to spend money um, just for the sake of spending money. Let's hear a little bit of Hopper's response. Pranavi, since we had Dennis read the Expedia statement, do you mind just reading that little excerpt that I shared with you? Yeah, sure. So this is Hopper's response. Um, which is also cited in the article that Dennis wrote. Although it seems that Expedia planned and delivered its notice in an anti-competitive attempt to cause disruption to Hopper's business, 
there will be no impact at all. Hopper has always had a multi-source strategy when it comes to our inventory. Expedia was one participant among many within Hopper's marketplace. And then they, and then they go on to say that Hopper will continue to be the best place to book travel. Wow. I, you know, it, it, it kind of gives me schoolyard vibes there. Uh, no impact at all. You know, thou doth protest too much. Clearly, there will be some impact, right? Uh, what are we to make all this? Is, are these just harsh words of partners turned rivals? Or is there any merit here? Dennis, is, is Hopper manipulating consumers into needing, needlessly spending more money? They're a little bit sneaky sometimes. So one of the things uh, that's hard, uh, makes it hard to gauge Hopper is they're, they're app only. They're not on desktop. And they're constantly uh, testing different things. So for a while, for example, um, they had a, a default, um, you know, you didn't opt into it to add a tip you know, at the end of your booking uh, for Hopper. People were, weren't realizing they were paying this tip. No no online travel company that I know of, no, no other one, uh, uh, you know, charges consumers a tip uh, without them knowing it. I think now it's opt-in. So there are some, you know, questionable tactics, you know, they're... Um, they, not not too far offered. from not too far off from what happens when you go to your coffee shop now. They just include a little suggested tip right. there, right? Right. Um, and there were there were other things like that, like VIP service, which and that allows you to uh, call up a, a call center agent f for help. They were they were adding that in, and they have things like um, price freezes on hotels and flights um, that are already fully refundable. And right, if you, you cancel the flight, if you cancel the flight, um, you don't get your money back. It, 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 you know, you get a credit towards a uh, for, towards future value. You know, towards um, future travel. So yeah. things like that. So there are some sketchy things. Um, I think they might, uh, you know, have a good talk with themselves and rein in some of the wilder ones that they have, you know, and it's also a problem for Capital One, their biggest partner, which is a bank and has to answer to regulators um, about some of these practices. Yeah, I, I'd also add to that that um, one of the things I learned when I was interviewing the execs over at Hopper is that, you know, when, uh, when someone exercises the option associated with the various fintech products, Hopper actually takes that risk onto its balance sheet. So say there is another, you know, black swan event like COVID, or even if there is a bit of a downturn and we're seeing suddenly a lot of people exercise these fintech products, you know, that could potentially place significant pressure on, on Hopper's balance sheet. And it's definitely something that I am, you know, wary about. And But you've mentioned in your article, or at least they uh, rebutted that by saying that a lot of their products actually hedge one another, right? Can you explain that? Sure. Yeah. So um, I, you know, I, I asked the CFO this question and, um, you know, they claim that their price prediction tools are like 95% accurate and, you know, they're dynamically pricing their products and they have sophisticated risk management strategies in place. So, you know, it's, it's very sophisticated. Um, and unless there's really a black swan event, they will be protected. Um, and, you know, the CFO, I think he said that um, the risk today is like 10 times smaller than the amount of cash they have in their balance sheet. So, um, you know, they are, they are protected and their fintech products um, are, are, are pretty varied and they're, and they're fairly diversified and they have natural hedges in place. So, you know, I think I think they have covered their back, but 
there's, as, as Dennis has mentioned, there are a lot of issues with it still, like optional tip-ins and um, things being refundable when they aren't refundable, et cetera. So clearly they will have to make some, you know, iterations to the product and Expedia's comments are obviously pretty damning to, 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 to their suite of FinTech products. Well, uh, transitioning to Expedia, Pranavi, is Expedia being anti-competitive by not just depriving Hopper of its inventory, but by doing it in this very combative fashion, publicly accusing them of not having in, uh, the interests of the consumers at heart? Yeah, I mean, so Hopper has said that there will be no impact at all out of Expedia pulling out of the partnership. Um, so, and they've said it's it, they've said it's anti-competitive, um, but they don't think there's going to be impact. So, I mean, if you look at the numbers, Hopper has about two million hotels on its platform, and the majority of these hotels will be sourced through direct partnerships that Hopper has with hotels directly, and, it, and it, the majority won't be through these kind of indirect B two B deals with players like Expedia. So, um, you know, Hopper is saying, okay, Expedia is not going to fund our hotels. Uh, inventory, that's fine. We've got all these other direct deals um, and, you know, there's not going to be impact at all. And then on the flip side, um, since this is a B2B deal, if you consider Expedia, you know, Expedia will also not see a material impact from the loss of Hopper as a distribution channel. Um, you know, they didn't even release an official financial press release um, uh, about it. I have to disagree a little bit. I mean, Expedia is 25 years old or no, they're more than that. Right. And um, so they didn't they didn't get this hotel inventory overnight. It took years and years and years. And we just talked about, you know, Hopper having two million hotels. Well, maybe they lost just lost half of them or 800,000 of them or whatever. They don't have the resources to go out and and build direct relationships with hotels. I mean, you can you can build uh, you know direct relationships with some of the bigger chains, but if you go to Europe, um, you know a lot of the hotels are independent. Um, you know, especially when tr when Hopper is trying to um, you know trim its 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 overhead spend. You know, it would take an enormous amount of of money for them to go out and hire an you know, a larger sales force, and it would take years to build direct re relationships with hotels. So I think, um, I think they're going to be hurting in the short term, they'll find a way to, you know, get some of that Expedia, some of the inventory they lost uh, from Expedia hotel inventory from other sources, but I don't think it's um, going to be direct in a really material way. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I agree that the impact will be much larger on the vacation rental side of things, especially with the Verbo, especially with the Verbo brand that Expedia owns. And, you know, vacation rentals, that's still quite a nascent part of Hopper's business. Um, but I, I think just just to add to that, this news of Expedia uh, coming out of the partnership with Hopper, I think this will change the way that these companies think about B2B deals. And, you know, in the last few years, we've really seen a flurry of B2B activity. And B2B has been a key growth driver for not just Hopper, but also Expedia. You know, it's it's 40% of Hopper's revenues, but also it's, it's you know, 20 to 30% for Expedia, which is not immaterial. Um, but, I, you know, the problem that I have with B2B is that it fundamentally increases fragmentation in the market and it allows, you know, anyone to really come in and start selling travel, um, you know, the, the barrier to entry is essentially zero with B2B. I mean, not entirely zero, but it's um, it, it really increases the fragmentation and allows these new entrants to come into the market. 
And so, so what we might see now is that, you know, B2B players like Expedia and Hopper might slow down in partnering with players already in the travel industry that they compete head on with and rather focus on B2B deals with companies outside um, outside the travel industry, such as you know banks and credit cards, um, which are looking to offer travel products on their own platforms. I don't know if you agree with that, Dennis. Uh, I don't. Um, I mean, tr- the travel industry <laughs> I don't is, think so. <laughs> re- <laughs> is renowned for its incestuous nature and frenemies working with other frenemies. I think this this Hopper Expedia split was a one off. Uh, I don't think we're going to see any slowing in B2B deals. I mean, Booking Holdings is committed to um, growing its B2B partnerships. It it bought uh, Get a Room a couple of years ago to help uh, expand that. It's, it's a strategic uh, of strategic importance for Expedia to grow its B2B businesses. It is partnering um, with banks, uh, as you mentioned. Um, and even with these deals, I think there is still a significant barrier to entry. Partners have to share revenue with Expedia or Booking.com or whomever. And the largest, you know, barrier to entry, you can get, I mean, you can get all these hotels from Expedia, but how are you going to get noticed? We were talking about marketing before, and that's the biggest barrier to entry. You know, the, the billion, you know, the billion dollars a year that, uh, you know, Expedia or booking spend on uh, Google, um, just because you have an affiliate relationship with Expedia um, doesn't get you those marketing marketing dollars that you need in order to get noticed. Right. Yeah. Frederick talked about spending hundreds of millions of dollars in customer acquisition prior to transitioning to their sort of internal marketing. Yeah, I think I think that's an interesting point, Dennis. So yeah, I guess whilst Expedia pulling out the deal might not have a huge impact on Hopper's current hotel bookings, because they've said, you know, we have other partners, um, it might instead have more of a long-term impact on kind of future B2B deals that Hopper tries to make. But, you know, I just kind of backing Hopper's court a little bit, I think, as I've already mentioned, you know, I think Hopper is nimble and it's able to pivot um, strategy and, um I think it's fintech products will likely see several iterations, um, but it needs to put in some more work into striking that balance between efficiently monetizing its products whilst you know also offering a streamlined user experience that B2B partners will be happy to have on their platforms, such as Capital One, these banks, um, but also partners um, within the travel industry. I wonder, Dennis, if, if you've heard anything from Hopper, other than the statement they gave, I mean, do you get the sense that they're worried about it? Or like, what has the backlash been from Hopper and, you know, other B2B partners that partner with Hopper? Um, Has it been positive or not really? You know, everyone has gone silent. Hopper has gone silent. Capital One has gone silent, Um, you know, which makes me feel like uh, they're both worried uh, and they're both feeling the impact. So I don't have any direct knowledge, but the fact that um, they won't tell me what the, what the actual impact is, what they're doing, how they're responding, uh, neither neither Hopper or Capital One has been transparent about that. So I think um, they're worried and they're feeling it, at least in the short term. The silence speaks volumes. 
Yeah. So before we finish up our conversation today, I want to look ahead and to get us in that mindset, I want to play one final clip of Frederick Lalonde speaking with you, Dennis, at Skiff Global Forum last fall, where he talks about his economic outlook and Hopper's three pillars of growth. Now we're probably entering a recession. We're not feeling any of it now. Business is great. Everybody's traveling. I don't think you think it's coming. And oh yeah, oh, how yeah. are you preparing? Oh yeah. oh yeah. Well, the first thing is you got to cut your burn rate. So it's no longer right. cool to. And th this is where my deep jealousy for the profits of our competitors comes from. They make money, which is great. So we got to close the gap. We're not burning a lot compared to a lot of these crazy things that you've mm -hmm. seen recently. But we're not profitable. We need to get there. That's one thing. The second thing is you need to grow faster with less paid spend because that's how you get profit which has to do with check-ins and bunnies and loot boxes and all this other stuff. And then the third thing is you need to be global. And the reason that matters at a real scale is because um, if I'm in food delivery, shipping sushi in Rio de Janeiro doesn't help me with my New York business. But if I'm in travel and somebody uses me in Rio and they come to New York, that's the high AOV, the high stay. Everybody wants that. So we got to become a global company. And then the third pillar of our growth is Hopper and Cloud. Yeah, super, super interesting clip. And I, I think quite honest, really, from, from Fred. And, you know, I definitely agree with him that their current run rate will slow down in the next few years. You know, in 2022, they, they really saw big growth rate because they just launched their Hopper cloud business and some fintech products. Um, but obviously, they're not going to be able to sustain that into the next few years, especially if there's a, you know, economic downturn and, and, and a recession. And, you know, up until now, they have prioritized market share gains over bottom line profitability. But reaching profitability is really, really important um, if they really want to play amongst you know, the leaders of booking and Expedia, and especially in the run up to a potential IPO, which I, I know Fred has talked about, um, you know, that is an am ambition for them. Um, I don't know if Dennis, you have anything more to add to that? I was just going to say, I wonder how this uh, Expedia breakup is going to impact their cloud business. Certainly, it's um not a a, a, um, a reputational advantage <laughs> when trying to make deals and they and they've announced a number of 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 these cloud partnership deals but really who's out there that's um you know we have capital one that's a big one but a lot of these other ones um you know kayak dropped its partnership expedia dropped the partnership uh there are a few other players but i don't know you know how substantial they are yeah, I think, um, you know, I think it's still, um, it's 40% of their business, but it's, you know, if you consider the size of the, of the market, I think in my interviews with the execs at Hopper, they said that, um, you know, Hopper Cloud could potentially be a hundred billion market, um, of which they have like, maybe like over 1% of that market. So there is a lot to play for. And, Clearly, booking Expedia, you know, with Get a Room and Expedia with its um, B two B business, they're clearly going after that huge TAM that is available, and it 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 is competitive, um, and it'll be interesting to see how how damaging Expedia's claims really are. But like I said before, I think maybe we might see that now these companies will stop powering the travel capabilities of other companies already in the travel industry and rather focus on companies outside of travel like the banks um, who aren't going to be as direct a competitor um, to, to, to themselves. So we might actually we might actually now see a lot of non-travel related companies enter the market. And 
if anything, that's going to make this even more fragmented. It's going to make the industry even more competitive. And you know, covering travel is never boring. Um, it's one of the most competitive travel, most competitive industries um, in the world. Um, and I think B2B is just adding that extra la layer to it. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Certainly not boring. It sells newspapers. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you mean Skift Pro accounts? It sells <laughs> yeah. Skift Pro subscriptions. Ex exactly, uh, exactly. Well, I think I think that plug is a perfect place to wrap this conversation up. We imagine there'll be a lot of news to follow here in the next weeks and months. So I encourage our listeners to go to skift.com to find not only this article but all of Dennis's and our entire team's great reporting. Also, Pranavi's excellent research can be found at research.skift.com. Um, including this Hopper report that, again, really is unprecedented in its access to to, to Hopper's um, financials and business model. Thank you both again for joining us today and for your great reporting and research. Thanks. Thank you. This has been the Skift Podcast. Thank you for listening.